It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Well, folks, it's herd mentality. We also need to talk about the Bills adding josh norman to the practice squad so we're going to start with the josh norman move and then we're going to get into some great herd mentality topics including dalton kincaid and 12 personnel josh allen the runner trey white injuries trade ideas all kinds of stuff here on today's podcast so let's do it and let's start with josh norman the bills added josh norman cornerback to their practice squad and this is the first of several moves we are expecting this week. Obviously, Daquan Jones and Matt Milano are going to the injured reserve list, and that creates two roster spots. And I'm guessing Jamarcus Ingram probably gets one of them, and then Balen Specter if he's healthy, or AJ Klein if Specter's not healthy, or there could be an outside move. But I'm expecting a linebacker and a cornerback to be added to the active roster. And through that, it would vacate practice squad spots, one of them already filled here by Josh Norman. And the initial reaction from folks, especially on social media, was panic and criticism that this is the best Brandon Bean can do. Folks, it's a practice squad edition. It's a practice squad edition. I cannot see a world where Josh Norman is playing snaps for the Bills defense but I do think he can be an asset to the young cornerbacks on the Bills roster. Josh Norman has five years of experience with Sean McDermott, has played 11 NFL seasons. Now he's 35 years old. He turns 36 in December, a guy that already lacked athleticism even when he first came into the league. And I think it's fair to say that his expiration date as a meaningful player in the league has come and gone. Last year, he played a couple of games for the Carolina Panthers. Before that, the 49ers. And the year before that, he was in Buffalo. Of course, Washington prior to that in Carolina, where he started his career. But there's nothing to freak out over with this. The Bills' outside corners are Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, Kyer Elam, and most likely Jamarcus Ingram. There's a lot of young players in that mix. I mean, uh, two second-year players in Benford and Elam. Ingram's young. I mean, Jackson's in his fifth season, but still a young player. And when you lose a guy like Trey White, you'd like to be able to have that veteran in the room. And I think that Josh Norman can be an asset to those guys. 
So that's the Josh Norman part of this conversation. Let's get into her mentality now. And this first one from Kevin is a question that is very similar to tons that were sent in. And so I wanted to lead with this. Kevin says, five games in, what's your assessment of Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid in 12 personnel? Feels pretty underwhelming so far with neither having much of an individual impact, also feeling like very little impact as a duo. I know it's early, so I'd appreciate your insight and perspective. All right, let's talk about this because, like I said, a lot of questions. The first thing that I want to establish in this conversation is very important, and it's that the Bills' passing offense is really good, one of the best in the NFL. The Bills are fourth in passing yards per game despite being 11th in attempts. They're third in net yards per passing play. They're number one in completion percentage, fifth in passer rating, third in EPA per pass. That is outstanding. We're talking about a top-tier NFL passing offense, likely a top-three caliber unit to this point. So this entire conversation over production as it relates to the Bills' passing offense isn't about the actual results because the actual results are great. It's not about the actual results of how it's performing. It's about how people prefer the production to happen because right now the production is elite. So where some people are frustrated because they want to see more production from Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox, I find myself getting excited because this passing offense has been excellent and we still haven't seen the full deployment of how the tight ends can make an impact to the offense. So how are the Bills tight ends producing? They're ninth in the NFL among all tight ends in receptions with 41, 20th in yards at 196, and only one touchdown, which is 16th. So obviously there's plenty of room to get more production there. But is that surprising? To me, it's not. This is a massive fundamental shift from a 10 and 11 personnel offense to it being a 12 personnel offense being the foundation of what it is. So a huge fundamental shift in what you're doing offensively. Meanwhile, you're relying on a rookie in his first five games to be on the field for over half of your offensive snaps. Keeping in mind, this is currently the number three scoring offense in the entire NFL. Before the season started, I projected Dalton Kincaid to have 43 catches for 500 yards this year. And if you want the receipts, I did an entire stat predictions podcast, and that's where I had him. And some of you guys yelled at me for that. You thought that was too low. He's on pace for 48 catches for 401 yards. So I'm not that far off. And folks, that pace, keep in mind, is only factoring in the first five games of his career. So what were your expectations? I'm also on record stating stating that in 2024, I expect Dalton Kincaid to be the number two option in this Bills passing game with that ramping up as 2023 moves along. So this is playing out as I expected it to. So the question I have for everyone who's frustrated with the tight end production is, first of all, what were your expectations? 
And also, are you being mindful of how good this passing offense has been despite not having a ton of production from those tight ends? Now, I've studied every snap of Kincaid this year. When he does get the ball, it's a very simple route and a simple read. They're getting the ball to him quickly and asking him to catch and run. There is certainly a whole lot more that he is capable of. He does run routes over the middle and down the field, but I think when it comes down to overall for Dalton Kincaid having more production, more impact, doing more things that require skill, it's prioritizing Dalton Kincaid sooner in progressions because when Dalton Kincaid is open, so are other guys who are earlier in the read and that's where the ball is supposed to go. And so I think that's what it comes down to. They have to have more passing plays where Dalton Kincaid is the primary read, the first or the second read, because like I said, when he is open in the middle of the field, when he is open down the field, so is the first and second guy in the progression, and that's where the ball is supposed to go to. To me, the bigger disappointment, because I don't even use the word disappointment to talk about Dalton Kincaid, as you can see based on where my expectations were. To me, the bigger disappointment is the lack of consistency in production throwing the ball to Dawson Knox. This is not his first season. These are not his first five games. And there's been plays for him to make. Right now, he's been targeted 18 times, has 11 catches, three drops, 0 for 4 in contested situations, other plays that I felt like he could make but didn't. That's that's where I get a little bit frustrated with this passing offense and the tight end distribution. And I feel like Dawson Knox is kind of getting more opportunities to run the routes you wish Dalton Kincaid did. So the bottom line here is that the passing offense is excellent. There are ways to get the tight ends going more, and I expect that to ramp up as the season moves along. But right now, I think there's too much panic and freakout over this. I really do. This Bills passing offense is one of the best in the entire NFL. And so just because the production isn't happening the way you want it to doesn't mean the passing offense isn't good because it's very, very good. All right, we got a bunch more to get to, but first, our partners over at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. So whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked out for us on this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Baker Mayfield, to the surprise of many, has been a borderline QB1 in fantasy while enjoying his most efficient season as a reality passer. Coming off a Buccaneers Week 5 bye, he should need to pass for high volume in a matchup with Jared Goff and the Red Hot Lions at home in Week 6. Mayfield has been locked into a variety of receivers, and the Lions can struggle to cover slot target Chris Godwin and tight end Cade Otten. The Bucs also won't be able to run as much on Detroit, leading to pleasing passing digits from Mayfield. Vinny Iyer from Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it, and with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber and not cash. So keep your number one ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
All right. The next one here comes from Alex. Alex says, I know Josh Allen running less is overall a good thing, but do you think the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction? I feel like Allen passed up some opportunities to scramble in this game, likely because of how he has been coached and maybe even some design QB runs could have sparked the offense to get going and move the chains more consistently. Interesting conversation, folks, right? Interesting conversations. People have been mad about the amount of running that Josh Allen's done in the past, and now we have questions about, well, is it not happening enough? So let's let's get into it a little bit here. I like this question from Alex. So Josh Allen right now, through five games, is on pace for 68 rushes this year, which is a huge, huge dip in where those rushing totals have been throughout his career. Last season, Josh Allen had 124 rushing attempts. 2021, 122. 2020, he had 102. 2019, 109. And then 2018, his rookie season where he missed time, right? He only played in 12 games. He had 89 rushes. So we're seeing a huge dip, like nearly a 50% dip in terms of what he's on pace for. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. I think overall, there's a lot of good to this. But there have been times where I have wanted to see the Bills lean into more Josh Allen rushes, whether it's scrambles, whether it's design quarterback runs. And I do think the Jaguars game stands out. It felt like a good time to kind of break the glass, right, and lean into it. Felt like the offense needed a spark, especially when you punt on your first four drives and six of your first seven. But I think this is more of what, or this is more of where Josh needs to trend for him to have the lengthy career that we all want him to have. Now, something I've said emphatically on this podcast that is absolutely true is that quarterbacks don't get hurt running the football. They get hurt by taking hits in the pocket, right, where they can't really defend themselves, right? That's where you get most concerned about quarterback hits, but all the hits add up. And I think that outside of the Jets game this year, I'm really happy with the reduced contact that Josh Allen is seeing. I think overall, that's a good thing. But as you also know, I've also been an advocate for Josh Allen running the football because those are good plays for the offense. And so I think the Bills are being smart to be a little bit more choosy here. But there's times, the Jacksonville game, where you want to see that broken out a little bit. And so I, I, I like where this is trending but I still want it to be part of what they can do. And it really hasn't been that to this point. Again, I mean, the Bills are number three in the NFL in scoring, right? So they're doing a lot of good on offense. But yeah, maybe you could have leaned into this a little bit more, especially against Jacksonville. Sean has a question that I've also seen from a lot of people. How does an injured player not on the roster affect the Bills' salary cap? Thinking specifically about the Trey White injury, an outlook going into next season with the presumption that he misses all of 2024. Folks, there is zero impact on the salary cap for an injured player. They count just as if they're healthy. So that that's that. And I know that this is relevant with, of course, Trey White, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones. Injured players have their regular impact on the salary cap as if they weren't injured. And then also the point that Sean brings up in this question, about presuming that he misses all of 2024. I am not thinking that at all with Trey White. I don't think he misses next season. I don't think he misses most of next season. The bigger question is how effective he will be. 
And I have a lot of concerns about that. But as far as his availability for 2024, I expect him to be available. And the contract is what the contract is. Lucas says, and this is kind of continuing with the Trey White conversation. Lucas says, I've thought about this before his injury in terms of his later career, but with the Achilles, this scenario could play out a little sooner than expected. I would like to see the Bills move Trey White to safety for next year. It seems his style of play and IQ would be a great asset there. If things don't work out, we can either restructure or release him after 2024 for about $12 million in savings. You think the Bills could explore this? Would he succeed and excel in this role? I've gotten a lot of questions throughout the years about Trey White and playing safety, and I've, I've answered them the same. And so I, I, nothing's changed for me. I understand the idea. I really do. And the Bills have seemingly enjoyed their safeties as guys that have experience at corner. There's all the, the signs and signals are there that, okay, Trey White, end of his career, move him to safety. It makes a lot of sense. He's got ball skills. He's got good IQ. I agree with all of that. Here's where I get very, very concerned about the idea of playing Trey White at safety. He's not a physical player. He's not a guy that I think of as a physical guy. He's not a great tackler. And those are things that you need to have more of as a safety. And so that's where I get concerned. He's not a great tackler. He's not a super physical player. And so, yeah, I like the ball skills. I like the IQ, but you're still missing some stuff here. And so that's where I have questions about it. Could it happen? Sure. Yeah, I could see the path. I know Sean McDermott would love to have as much Trey White as he possibly can, right? First draft pick of this regime, or well, really Sean McDermott. I know Brandon Bean wasn't around for the pick. I get the soft spot there, but if he's not going to be a great tackler and he's going to lack physicality, then I get real concerned about his future at safety at the end of his career. Dan says, how if at all, does your perception change due to the recent slew of injuries the defense has suffered? Milano, Daquan Jones, and Trey White are big losses. But, rever- but reviewing the All-22, it sounds like the defense was death by a thousand paper cuts with a lot of players having an off day. A lot of what you read online is the Bills need to sign this player or trade that player and the defense is ruined. But I'm sure there's a more reasonable middle ground and I'm hoping that you could shed some light on it. Yeah, I appreciate this question, Dan. Uh, first of all, the Jacksonville game, we're talking about a tired football team. The Bills were a tired football team that was shorthanded on defense. And I think what they were able to pull off was admirable. I thought the defense kept them in the game. Now, it's going to be a lot harder moving forward on defense. That's for sure. Those are big losses, especially Trey White and Matt Milano. And Daquan Jones, too. I mean, you can make an argument that those guys were probably – playing at the highest level of anybody at their respective position. So like Daquan Jones was probably performing at the highest level amongst the D line, of course, Milano and at corner Trey white was the best the bills had, but you have to find a way. I promise you the dolphins and the chiefs and the Jaguars and the chargers or whatever good teams there are in the AFC aren't sitting around feeling sorry for the bills. As I've stated in the NFL, Nobody cares about your problems. Nobody. And you still have a lot on this football team. This offense is completely healthy. You have Josh Allen. You still have a lot of good players. The best football teams find a way. And I'm hopeful that this Bills football team can find a way. It's going to be tougher, but I think you have a very manageable stretch coming up. 
I think the Bills should absolutely win six of their next seven games, if not all seven. And that should set the tone for what this looks like coming off the bye. Now, hopefully the injuries don't compound, and this is the end of it. But obviously, I'm concerned about that, right? I mean, you got another game on Sunday. Who's going to get injured, right? You can't help but think it. But, I mean, it's all about how you face adversity throughout a season. That That's the NFL. That's the league. It's about adversity and how you come out of it. And I think the Bills have been a resilient football team. I've talked about that. Now, last year, I thought it was just too much. At the end of the, the, end of the day, it just became too much. And we're talking about a whole lot more than just players getting injured. The best football teams find a way. And I'm excited to see if the Bills can find a way through this because we're talking about a Josh Allen quarterback team that has a lot of talent still. Find a way. Find a way. All right, let's talk about Jace Medical here, and then I got more to get to. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected, and that's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure that you have the medication on hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. So don't get caught unprepared. Get $20 off these life-saving antibiotics today from Jace Medical by using my code LOCKEDON at checkout. That's jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E medical.com. All right, folks, we got a few more to get to here today. The next one comes from Vin. Vin says, would you trade for Jerry Judy? Also, if we could only afford to trade for one position of need, what position and who are you trading for? What would you be willing to trade away? So as for what I trade for Denver Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy, sure. I mean, I wouldn't pay much for him. I don't really find myself concerned about wide receiver, but he'd be a nice addition. I mean. He's a good player. I don't think he's a, an elite player, but if you packaged a mid-round pick for him, would you? Would I take him back? Sure. As far as the position that I would be most interested in going after, and I think you, you look at this Bills team and you think about linebacker, you think about cornerback as the two spots where you would want to make a move. And corner is the position for me that I would focus on if it could only be one. And, yeah, I have a lot of concern about Dorian Williams and Tyrell Dotson having bigger roles on this defense. I mean, one of them is going to start next to Terrell Bernard, and they're perhaps both going to play. But the premium position is corner. And if you told me that Dane Jackson and Christian Benford would be the Bills' starting corners for the rest of the year, I'd say that's probably okay. But... Christian Benford has been injured three different times that cost him to miss time. And he's been in the NFL for one season and five games. I mean, that concerns me. I'm a little bit more optimistic on Kyer Elam after watching the tape, like I talked about. Um, And let me kind of clarify some of that. Kyer Elam still didn't play well against Jacksonville. The point that I wanted to make with all of that was, it wasn't as bad as it felt watching the broadcast and that it wasn't as much that he was completely overmatched. It was just that he was a tick late. 
And so I felt like a lot of that was fixable, right? That's where I kind of found some optimism. He still played poorly. But I don't like the idea of being one snap away from more of that. But also, I mean, Kyrie Elam showed us last year that he's not an awful football player. He's still young. But it's such an important position. So if you're really going to go in and invest, I think the short and the long term, right, the long term is at corner. And so that's where I would want to potentially invest. In, in terms of who to go get, I think that's where it gets tough. Um, I know the name that everybody brings up is Patrick Sertain from the Denver Broncos, and I have a lot of questions about that. First of all, why on earth would Denver be interested in trading away one of the best young cornerbacks in the entire league? I mean, they have had so many misses personnel-wise. Why, why would they be interested in that? Secondly, that's going to cost you two first-round picks and more. So do you want to give up two first-round picks plus a mid-round pick or something like that for Patrick Sertain? I think that's where it gets a little bit tough for me. Trade candidates that I really do like, Jalen Johnson from the Chicago Bears. You know, they're leaning into Terrell Smith and Tyreek Stevenson at corner. I'd love to see Jalen Johnson. I think he'd be a good young addition. Kendall Fuller in Washington, if he were to be available. Adoree Jackson with the Giants, if he were to be available. Those are three guys that I like that are on bad teams on expiring contracts. And so that's what makes it reasonable to me. So if they were to make a move, Jalen Johnson, Kendall Fuller, and Adoree Jackson would be the guys that I'd like to be considered. If they were to make a trade at linebacker, two guys that I really like, Jordan Hicks from the Vikings, Frankie Louvu from the Panthers, I think both would be good fits. So I know you limited it to one, but if I could throw a couple names out there at linebacker, those are guys that stand out to me. The next one here comes from Dalton. Dalton says, with Daquan being out indefinitely and assuming we stick with what we have, Oliver Phillips, Ford, and settle on the active roster. Do you think we might or should see a higher percentage of snaps for the defensive ends bumping inside on third downs and other pass rush situations? I really like some of the combinations they have with the emergence of AJ and the return of Vaughn along the D-line. Yeah, I, I think so for sure, Dalton. And I get really excited about what these rush packages can look like. I mean, you can have a, a situation where Vaughn Miller, Leonard Floyd, and Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau are your four rushers. And that would be incredible to me. You also have Shaq Lawson and AJ Epinesa who can reduce and rush inside. And so I, I think you can lean into that for sure. You have some really exciting options, but at the same time, Rousseau needs to get healthy. Vaughn has to ramp up, right, and, and prove himself that he's back. And that doesn't even consider Shaq Lawson, who missed last week with a toe injury. So you still kind of have to get healthy for this to happen. Uh, but I get very excited about what it can look like. As for the defensive tackle situation moving forward, I think this really comes down to Puna Ford stepping up, right? He's, a, to me, a really good starting nose tackle in the NFL, and we need to see that happen in Buffalo. And we need more out of Tim Settle. We need more out of Jordan Phillips. And you also hate that you recently lost Elianku, who got signed to the Falcons' active roster because he was a great player to have in the practice squad that may be considered for a roster spot at this point in time. But these defensive tackles not named Ed Oliver need to step up in a big way moving forward. Next one here comes from Free Fallen. Free Fallen says, when we went for the onside kick and Evan Ingram batted the ball out of bounds, the ref threw a flag and then picked it up. Can you fill us in on the rules for batting a ball intentionally out of bounds and specifically whether that is legal on an onside kick? Yeah, I'm a little confused about this as well. I watched the tape on this. 
And it was pretty clear to me that Evan Ingram batted the ball down and that's an illegal bat. You can't do that. You can't just bat the ball out of bounds and it's close. I'll admit that it's close, but what made me believe that it was a bat is that when that ball hits the ground, it really has a lot of acceleration up into a different direction as opposed to if it just on its own came down without additional force. I think he batted it. It was definitely close, though. And so if it truly was a bat, the penalty should be assessed, and then there's a re-kick, but that didn't happen. And so that's that's my take on that situation. All right, folks, we're going to focus next on the New York Giants. Our next conversation will be crossover Thursday uh, with Locked On Giants host Patricia Trena, and then we're going to do the primer and the Saturday stuff that we normally do. So um, time to put this Jaguars game behind us and move forward with the Bills' next challenge, which, of course, is the Brian Dayball-coached New York Giants. So we're going to talk about them quite a bit the rest of the week. Don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it. If you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast, have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.